The most confused of all religions in the world today is Hinduism. In part because it's a forced conglomeration of a number of different religions. That because of the vicissitudes of history of invaders who have attacked and forced alliances between different groups, as well as envy and competition between those of different groups, there has become become a a complete incoherence in the mythology and the significance of the stream of information that was originally provided as a guide to the understanding of the cosmos. And it must be parsed out very carefully now and can only be done from a very high level of consciousness or it will appear to be simply nonsensical. Which it is not. It contains great wisdom that the Hindus themselves, for the most part, are now unable to digest or retrieve from the mythological contradictions. But the core ritual of of India that is shared among all of the different groups, whether they worship Shiva or Vishnu or one of the goddesses or one of the more minor deities or the animal powers or the rivers or any of the other forces of nature all of which have been deified in a kind of uh, animism that is accurate on its own basis since everything is filled with consciousness and is consciousness. But there must be differentiations made in terms of the particular role of consciousness and the level of consciousness that is operating at a given moment in the historical cycle in order to accurately unite time and eternity. The core myth that unites all the people of India is expressed in a rite that is referred to as the Kumbha Mela. In the Kumbha Mela, which minor versions happen every 12 years and more major ones every 50, and then there are the really big ones every 500 years, but they are all representations of the one Kumbha Mela that they recognize happens at the end of time, the end of the cycle, which is also the beginning of the cycle. The omega point is the alpha point because there is no end or beginning to the universe or to time. And the Big Bang that is projected onto the physical dimension is actually an occurrence within consciousness. 
But this rite of the Kumbha Mela happens at the Sangam, which is the confluence of three rivers. Uh, two of those rivers are physical, but one is mythological. It was real, the Saraswati River, but it went dry. It went dry at the very end of the Copper Age and the beginning of Kali Yuga, when the Ganga began to flow. And it's where the Ganga and the Jamna rivers come together that the Kumbha Mela is held. It's, most in, it's held in four different places, rotation, on a rotational basis, but the, the one that takes place in Haridwar, which is just below Rishikesh, which is just below Gaumuk, is the holiest because this is the place of the actual source of the Ganges as it flows down from the Himalayas. Haridwar means the door, Dwar, of Hara, of God, the doorway or the portal to God consciousness. It is a beautiful little town on the Ganges. And during this festival, this Kumbha Mela, especially if it's one of the major ones, the 50-year or 500-year ones, every yogi, every sadhu, every naga baba, every sannyasi of every kind, every holy man and woman come to the Ganges in order to bathe at a particular hour and it's the Brahma Muhurat hour, 4 a.m. But it extends, it, they've had to extend it because there are so many millions of people they can't all bathe at once. So it goes on for hours in this ritual bathing. There are so many people there that usually there are stampedes and many die, but they say it's the best way to die while bathing in the Ganges and having your sins removed. Kumbha Mela, it's called. Mela means a festival, a gathering, but Kumbha is a pot. It's a very special pot that's being celebrated. It is the pot that received the Amrita, the nectar of immortality, during an event that mythologically happened at that confluence of the end of time in a previous yuga, previous kalpa, when the gods became exhausted and they lost their immortality and thus the gods and the devils were on an equal footing and the gods could no longer gain victory over the demons, the asuras. And so the devas and the asuras were fighting and the devas were losing. And Shiva proposed that they have a tug of war within the ocean of consciousness. And the great serpent Ananta, which means eternity or infinity, was wrapped around Mount uh, Meru and it was turned into like a washing machine center and they pulled and pushed and they churned the ocean of consciousness until everything came out of it, both poison and jewels, goddesses and uh, horrible demonic forces. 
and the poison of the worst kind of consciousness of the most evil nature came out and Shiva was willing to swallow the poison so that then the nectar could emerge and the nectar was captured in a pot and then Vishnu in the form of a woman carried the pot and gave a drop onto the tongue of each deva, each god and goddess, but did not serve the asuras. And it is this that led to the victory of good over evil, of light over darkness, and that enabled the gods again to be immortal and to carry on by creating a new world based now on this revival, renewal, regeneration of divine power that had been lost. Clearly this myth needs to be understood psychologically as that which is occurring within each one of us, a tug of war between that which is angelic, divine within us, and that which is demonic. The ego that wants the poison of maya, and the divine nature that wants immortality and bliss. This symbol of the tug-of-war exists in numerous religions. It's there in ancient Egypt in the tug-of-war between Horus and Set. It's also there in several other ancient mythologies that are pre-Christian. But it was eliminated from the general consciousness by Christianity and has become obscured. But we are now at the Sangam, we are now at that point of the coming together of the three rivers, and they are the river of time, of Kali Yuga, that has come from the past into this present and is ending, is petering out, is becoming a dry river which can go no further because life can no longer be sustained on this planet. And then there is that river of hope, of earnestness, of yearning, of love for God. And then the river of the Ganga itself that pours the blessings of God onto the world. And the Ganga emerges out of the head of Shiva. It is also symbolic of the Kundalini because there are three rivers of energy, of prana, that rise. The Ida, the Pingala, and the Sushumna. And those three come together at the Agya Chakra. And that is the Sangam for the individual level. And when those three forces of love and truth and the power of God come together, the Agya Chakra, the third eye, the chakra of command, the chakra of mastery, 
the chakra of the luminosity of God consciousness opens and the power of God is not only revealed but transmutes the functioning of the brain and unites and activates all of the higher centers and the cities, the powers that had been atrophied and transforms human beings into divine beings. This is the promise and the prophecy of yoga that has been translated, at least some pieces of it have in every religion. And it is this dismemberment of the truth into various pieces, various fragments, that is also represented by the dismemberment of Shiva's wife, Sati, known also as Uma and as Parvati, and those fragments distributed in various parts of the world. The same dismemberment is present in the mythology of Isis and Osiris, as Osiris's body parts are also cut and dismembered by Set. This dismemberment is also a, an archetypal mythologem that is present in all of the ancient teachings. And what it means is that we must gather together the fragments of knowledge from all of the various esoteric understandings and paths and traditions and the philosophical recognitions that all have a grain of truth and the various lost religions that have left enough clues and the clues left by the various monoliths and menhirs and other remnants of lost civilizations that teach us that we have not evolved but devolved and that the further back we go in time the higher the civilization was but all that we have left of those prior to the copper age are legends mythology and yet the, remem the remnants that do remain of pyramids and of other extraordinary monolithic buildings and places of holy gatherings that could not have been constructed from or by people with primitive technologies and are still the wonders of the world remain as the out-of-place artifacts that nullify the ability of current anthropology and archaeology to make sense of the world on the basis of an evolutionary format. And so we are forced to follow the footprints of the missing gods back into the layers that are within the layers of consciousness that have been lost to the ego 
and can only be discovered again through the surrender to that power of God that lies within the silence. Behind the chattering mind that has obscured our access to wisdom and to empowerment. It is the meditative process that is the actualization of the opening up to receiving the drop of nectar, which will again confer immortality, our eternal recognition of the truth of our being. And which will transform the entire ocean of consciousness into an ocean of a divine love having extracted all of the poison out of its molecules through the act of Shiva, the act of grace. None of this transformation can, can be accomplished by egoic intention other than surrender to the will of God. The mind of the ego is too exhausted. The soul has been ripped by its karmic disloyalty to God. And the powers that remain to us are not sufficient to climb the Everest of consciousness and receive the boons directly from Shiva in those great temples that lie at the summit of our divine potential. But through the surrender, through being willing to immerse ourselves, to be baptized in the holy waters of surrender, we are given again the boon of immortality so that life can go on in this planet and return to its original beauty. The only question for each of us is, shall we go to the Kumbamela? Shall we bathe at the hour appointed to receive the nectar? Or do we have other intentions? Have we made other plans? Shall we miss the Sangam? Do we fear the stampedes? Do we fear the sacrifice? Are we willing to make the pilgrimage of remembrance of God that takes us on an inner journey beyond all the landmarks and frames of reference of the ego mind so that we reach a place of emptiness in which we can no longer make sense of the real, in which no concepts will serve us to grasp 
or to hold us with any fixed position in any environment or container of consciousness other than that of faith itself until in the ultimate emptiness in which we ourselves dissolve into nothingness the light appears at the end of the tunnel of the dark night of the soul and redemption arrives in the form of the self that we have always been but can never know until the ego has died. It is this death of all hopes of all illusions of power of all vanity of all the ego's jouissance its enjoyment of its suffering, of its impotence, of its unreality, its attachment to trying to fill its lack from oases that have no more water to offer, and its refusal of the nectar of immortality because it is ruled by a death drive that will not allow it to drink of that nectar which is poison to the ego and life to the soul. We are here at the beach of the Ganges in Haridwar, the doorway to God and the nectar is being offered. Do we open our minds wide enough to receive it and keep that opening free of thought that would clog the passageways? Do we allow the nectar to be swallowed, digested, metabolized into the power of eternal being? It happens through grace, but grace is a function of love. And it must be love for that which transcends the ego and transcends all limited event horizons, including that of nature, including that of family, including that of any limited goodness or limited love. It is a love that must be unlimited and unconditional the source of being itself for any lesser loves or hatred of the ultimate they are a choice of illusion over the real the world has never been a war between love and hate but between love and love between loyalty to God and loyalty to Maya Loyalty to the limited egoic world, its families, its clans, its nations, its various flags that must be honored 
to adapt to a culture that has become ruled by the death drive. And it is this problem of divided loyalties that crucifies us and which forces us to anoint the Shiva Lingam not with ghee and honey and flowers, but with blood. And so first, as the Christian mysticism teaches, we must be washed in the blood of the Lamb. The ego must be crucified and risen. And hell must be harrowed by the power of Christ destroying those demons in that hell realm so that the light can shine through the cracks of the phenomenal illusion and the cracks in the discourse of the ego and the power of silence again be augmented such that the nectar can be received. The nectar is secreted in the pineal gland, which is the objective correlative of the third eye that produces a shift in brain chemistry that enables the consciousness to open and rise to higher vibrational frequencies and acts as a springboard for the consciousness to attain levels that transcend the ordinary three and four dimensional physical plane into higher dimensional realities that cannot be imagined by the two valued logic of the ego mind. But it is a springboard that again will drop the ego back into the gravity of phenomenality unless the love of God brings a levity a levitation of consciousness, a lightness that is unbearable to the ego, that enables consciousness to abide in the realm of light, as light, and as the source of light. It is this transformation of our identity from a material being to that which is the very source of both light and awareness. And it is the unity of love between light and awareness, prakasha and vimarsha, which then forms the unity of the Shiva Shakti avatar, which can remain in the light and yet bring the light into the physical plane and survive and endure through the poisonous onslaughts of maya and be untouched by any of those negative energies. It is the loveful union between yin and yang, between the tai chi and the wu chi, between the phenomenal and the noumenal, between the individual striving self and the grace of God, the consummation of the ultimate love that brings salvation.
And that salvation emerges in the form of eternal presence, infinite intelligence, and the bliss of infinite, unconditional love for all that is. May we drink deep of the nectar of immortality. The Amrita, which restores the Rita, the divine order to the universe. And thus become the founders of the dynasty of the sun. With the power to sustain life with love and wisdom, integrity and power. For the next cycle of time. under the will and guidance of God. And may you be blessed to be the instruments and the vehicle of this new world order that is the only order that can prevail against the ravages of the egoic disorder that is destroying our world. May you claim the invincible power of light and wield the sword of truth and the rays of the radiance of love and bliss that destroy all darkness and bring the world 